Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. And on today's episode, I'm joined by my hunting buddy and close friend, Tristan Baca. Tristan, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Thanks, Corey. Yeah, so Tristan, uh, I met Tristan a few years ago uh, we, when we worked at a place we will not mention in uh, Colorado, in Canyon City, Colorado. But over the last couple of months... Uh, Tristan has, well, Tristan's been in Michigan now for a little while, but we have entered into a hunting journey together, so to speak. And so he's going to be a recurring guest on this new episode style that we're going to be having for the fall and possibly beyond that. Um, As Bones and I talked about in our previous episode, we kind of outlined what this is going to look like. So first things first, Tristan, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners and give a little bit of insight into your background with hunting and whatever else you want to share. Okay. So I'm Tristan, um, born in a little place called Bubble, Colorado. Um, grew up, um, mom side of the family were all farmers. So I, I was shooting a little bolt action 22 before I probably should have, <laughs> if I'm being honest, um, you know, squirrels, rabbits, coyotes um grew up doing all the the small game stuff uh my grandpa used to call it pest <laughs> um which in in all reality it, it it was you know coyotes can tear up feel the watermelons pretty quick there's enough of them. um you know my dad um from a northern mexico town called ratone um and he introduced me into elk hunting um when I was eight, was the first hunt I went on. Um, shot an elk when I was thirteen, um, and I've been on several hunts um, up in the mountains in northern Mexico and uh, southwestern Colorado. Um, even though I wasn't, you know, behind the gun on several of those, uh, you know, learned a lot scouting. Um, and now I'm deciding to go on my own, starting to do compound hunting here in Michigan that I've out here man so you shot your first elk at age 13 um how many years of like preparation did it take you to get to that point because getting a shot on an elk is no easy feat especially at 13 years old so you know to be honest it wasn't all that much preparation because when i was growing up just always a part of you know being up in the mountains my grandpa was a coal miner um which is, you know, kind of the area that we hunted. So it was just kind of part of growing up. I wouldn't even say I really did all that preparation. Gotcha. It's interesting. I grew up with zero hunting experience. Didn't grow up shooting guns. Didn't grow up hunting. I have family, extended family that was really into hunting. I never grew up with it. And so I like to hear the flip side of this. You grew up, you know, shooting a twenty two in your backyard going out on these mountain elk hunts, which if no one's at hunted elk in the mountains of either New Mexico or Colorado, it's a wild experience. 
and it's it's totally different than hunting in Michigan a lot of different ways, but it's also the same in a lot of ways as well. So super cool. Love to hear that. What was that experience like putting an elk down when you were 13 years old? <laughs> um, it was it was super emotional. Um, I remember when I pulled the trigger and, and, and saw this cow elk's back legs kick out. Um, the first thought in my head is I scared the shit out of her and she's just going to run off. Mm. And then, you know, we walk back down a little bit and, you know, come back down another ridge side. And, you know, I just see, you know, that nice golden brown fur land up against you know these pine needles and yep. it was it was kind of surreal at first you know walked up on her and it it, it, it kind of you know at 13 it kind of looked like a movie prop to be honest right um and then it was kind of a flood of being thankful i guess to be able to harvest something from a place that a lot of people don't get to go or don't get to experience yeah um, i learned a lot about a life and death pretty early. I mean, as cliche as it may count, as it may sound, um, it, you know, taught me a lot of lessons on how to be appreciative of, you know, what we have, you know, now in modern society. I mean, I shot that out with a rifle, mm -hmm. you know, thinking about, you know, my ancestors and people before me, you know, doing that with, with spears and stick bows. <laughs> and right. I mean, it just, it gives you this whole different perspective on, you know, life where you come from and everything else. Yeah. I think that's one thing that drew me to hunting. I w I'm an animal lover by nature. I love animals. I am a sucker for animals. And so the thought of killing something was not appealing to me. However, the older I got, this sort of untapped part of me wanted to get closer and more connected to both my ancestors like you said and get, getting more connected with the actual food source and i remember a lot earlier in my life it was always my thing i would always say because this is what i heard people say you know why do you need to hunt when you can go to the store and buy meat and at that time obviously we weren't buying pasture raised meat from happy sources and this and that like we do now with apsi farms but i didn't know any better and so hunting wild game is something that did not come naturally. And my first experience was somewhat similar. Last fall, I harvested my first deer and it was a roller coaster of emotions. And I never really knew what to expect. But um, I recounted that on episode 116 of the Weekly Warrior podcast. So if you haven't listened to that, the essential hunting experience, go back and check that out. It's a full recount of that experience, but it's something that you can't fully express in a way that makes a non-hunter sort of understand. They have to experience it for themselves because without doing that thing, you're never going to know what it actually feels like. And that connection to both something deeper than yourself within the human race, because we are in a lot of ways, the apex predator on this planet. I mean, if you put us out in the wilderness in a loincloth, we might not be the apex predator, but our ancestors figured it out, how to do it with sticks and stone knives and whatever. And But these days, I mean, for the most part, that's where it's at. And so to to honor that legacy in a very 
like I said, honor it in an honorable way. Um, and ethical practices and ethical means is something that really that drew me in. So you moved to Michigan. Let's see. When was that? Tell me. What, was that a, about a year ago or? January. January. I of 2022. January of 2022. That's right. Yes. Mid-January 2022. Um, and I just remember the first thing I said when I got off a plane was, holy shit, it's cold. <laughs> and then, yeah um a few days later when i was driving to work um i saw my first white-tailed deer and i was like yep <laughs> yeah you know, it's crazy because you just knew that was my yeah you were you were in it at that point you were ready <laughs> my focus on it i was yeah yeah so you so we went to a wedding back in october last year we um we went to our good friend dallas's wedding Dallas has been on the podcast a couple times talking about fatherhood and talking about rugby, but it was, you had never been to Michigan before. I don't think you probably ever thought about coming to Michigan, really. Um, no, to be honest, I had never thought about the Midwest. Yeah, exactly. You were the Midwest is lame and whatever, but yeah, man, the, the thoughts coming off the plane, it's cold yeah. in January. It is so <laughs> damn cold in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> it's so frigid yeah and like there's some cold times in colorado don't get me wrong but when i lived there i lived there for three years and the winters out there were so easy compared to here uh because you get sunshine it's a still different kind of cold yeah it's a different kind of cold you'll get you'll get snow especially where i lived i lived in canyon city and so we'll, we would get snow and then it would warm up and all the snow would melt we very rarely had snow for many days in a row. Obviously, if you lived in the mountains, it was a little bit different. But And then you lived in Pueblo. So, like, you guys rarely saw snow, but you did get some really cold weather there. It was really, really windy and really, really cold, and that's what made Pueblo cold. You're in the middle of a, of a plane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you got here, I remember, especially in the summertime, you were super into fishing. Fishing was like your jam and you were all about it and then we started talking about Anything hunting a little course. bit more we read a book sort of we didn't realize that we were reading it together but we were reading it together we read endure by cameron haynes and if anyone doesn't know cameron haynes is probably the world's best living bow hunter at this point um he's also an ultra marathon runner and seems like a pretty genuinely good guy but he wrote a book and um it was all about bow hunting and I remember, I don't remember what sparked the conversation, but we ended up talking about the book. And I feel like at that point, we, whether it was a spoken thing or not, it was like, all right, we both have bows. Or did you, ha did you not have a bow at this point? Tell me a little bit about that. So whenever we first started talking about Endure, I had just, I had just got my Hoyt and just kind of started messing around and just started mm. and, you know, getting get myself frustrated um and <laughs> i i remember i was uh, i was looking up some stuff on the internet and that's how i found endure um because i was i was just looking up stuff about Hoyt and everything else and trying to figure stuff out doing research and um stumbled across across cameron hands shooting mm -hmm. a bull elk at 100 yards yeah <laughs> and um you know his book and you know read the book listen to the book um 
And then, yeah, it was just kind of unspoken. After you and I figured out we had that connection with that book, it was just kind of, you know, we have yeah. both, we have bows. Yep. I'll be, I'll be down and we'll go scouting on this day. I, um, I listened to that. So Cam Haynes did a very large PR tour when the book came out. He was on, I don't even know how many podcasts he was on, but uh, he was on the Jocko podcast, which I listened to. And then he was on Andy Frisella's podcast, which I also listened to. And so that's what, I was like halfway through the podcast episode that he did with Jocko, and I bought the book. Like I was into it. I bought it. Uh, he seemed, like I said, like a really genuine guy and talking about his life and his relationships, especially with Roy and like how the, like bow hunting has changed the course of his life. Um, it, I was into it. And I had had a bow at that point for about, I mean, four years or so, and I literally had strung it up and shot it one time. So it was a late, it's a late sixties grizzly bear, bear grizzly. And so classic traditional recurve bow. And I always had plans to, you know, maybe hunt with it. I don't know. It just kind of sat in the closet. But when I read that book, when I started reading the book, man, I was hooked and it was like, all right, I'm going to go about this about the hardest way that I can. But that's, I'd like to think, even though Cam Haynes doesn't hunt with a traditional bow. I'd like to think that he would approve of that uh, decision to go with the traditional bow and, and get good with it. So I, I think I started shooting, real really shooting, like, end of July and dove right down the rabbit hole. And I remember at that point, we were diving down the rabbit hole together. So like you said, we were talking about scouting. We were talking about where we're going to go, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and all that. And it is a deep rabbit hole to go down my friend <laughs> absolutely absolutely i remember we, we've had a lot of 5 30 a.m phone calls yeah and most people are like oh my god 5 30 a.m phone calls but <laughs> go and getting amped up about spots and and it, 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 once you jump you can't stop the ball <laughs> yeah you had actually so you had bought that book before i did and you had been i think you were you had it on audible and you were listening to it what about that book made you want to go out and buy a compound bow and start into this crazy world that we have entered? I don't think I just, I wouldn't say I just decided to go buy a compound bow. Um, well, I did just decide to go buy a compound <laughs> bow. I decided to buy a compound bow because I saw an episode of Peter with Joe Rogan and Steve Rinella. Mm. Um, and I was like, yeah, these guys shoot compound bows. You know, I, I, you know, I wanted something new. The bow thing seemed new and, and endure with that part, like really sunk true, like the, how hard, just how much harder it is than hunting with a rifle, I guess, and wanting mm -hmm. to challenge myself and make myself better. And the more you learn about not just the hunting, but life doing challenging things, you know? Yeah life doesn't just stop you always get to keep growing changing you know professionally personally it's just the next step right anyway yeah yep i i totally get that and i think bow hunting too it requires a lot more effort in a lot of ways than than rifle hunting um because you have to get out into the environment far more frequently you have to be scouting you have to know where they are because otherwise you're just wasting your time and in a lot of ways, rifle hunting is the same way, but 
With rifle hunting, you can set up in a blind or you can whatever. And if the deer is 200 yards, 300 yards away, it's within distance. With bow hunting, especially the way that I have chosen to bow hunt, I have to get within like 30 yards and you have to get within like 50, realistically. And so it's a whole different ball game and a whole lot more work. And I think that was attractive uh, to both of us in that respect. I think the first thing I noticed about the difference in the difficulty of it was just the amount of woodsmanship you need to know before you even just go scout. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I started looking at, you know, I started researching, you know, white-tailed behavior and how they stuff. I'm like, man, you know, saddles and bottoms and this and that. You know, you, gotta be, you have to be really good at map reading before you even go out. Yeah, because you could wander around aimlessly and not see a lick of sign if you yep. don't know where you're looking. You know, and just as easily, you know, the other direction, you may know where they're at, walking on a bad wind and mm-hmm. bump or deer and blow your spot for the for the remainder of the early season. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that we both decided early on that it was like, okay, if we're going to go out and scout, we are going to put in the work that 95% of people aren't going to put in they're not going to go into these areas that we're going into and so we went out on our first scouting trip in like mid-august um went into a large portion of the manistee national forest and basically we had looked at onyx for weeks at this point (laughs) and sort of like where do we want to go what do we want to do because like you said we you can just walk into the woods and walk around and maybe just waste your time but when you start to look at a map and the topography you can start to see like hey i bet there's deer moving around here or there's deer bedding here or whatever and you can start to plan a little more strategically these trips and so something that you have definitely advanced your skills in in just the short time that we've been doing this is your map reading and being able to use onyx so Tell us, tell me what, like, what is Onyx? What does it do, and how do you use it? So Onyx is uh, uh, an app that you can get on your phone, and they also have a website. Um, it's it's pretty much a giant map of different layers where you can get different different information from where hardwoods are, pines, topography. You know, you, know, you can see private land, public land, um, anything and everything that you need to about hunting, where to go, you know, how to get there. I use it a lot for the topographical maps because I live about an hour and a half away from where I'm hunting. So being able to really focus in on areas where deer are most likely going to be, it really allows me and you to be really efficient. Go out and scout yeah. on, you know, finding deer, finding sign, you know, and then it really makes it a lot easier to improvise. We see a lot of the same features when you're out in the field too. Right. Notes. You start to learn, you know, and you see this one thing and that means this thing. With a little bit thing. of homework done. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I use Onyx a lot for weather stuff, too. I set wind on a lot of the waypoints mm-hmm. that I've had tree stands in. Um, Man, that wind thing is sure, so clutch. A lot, of, a lot of hunting. Oh, yeah. And and it's it's so important, especially archery, you know, traditional compound, whatever. You, you have to hunt the wind. Because if you don't hunt the wind, you just won't be able to get close enough. Yeah. Get, uh, I don't care how much scent control you <laughs> wear. I, I, I really think that you can't beat those animals. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> For all you 
scent control freaks out there. I'm sorry. Yeah, really. I mean, scent control has only been a thing for a fairly short period of time, and the wind is your ally. And that's definitely something that I have had to learn is how to utilize all of the tools at our disposal. And one of those is reading the wind and understanding where, okay, I want to sit here, but the wind is not in my favor and it's probably not going to be a good sit because of that. And you don't have to worry about that as much with rifle hunting, because like I said, you can get a hundred yards, 200 yards away. No big deal. Done. Like take it to the bank. But with bow hunting, they get a hundred yards away. They get 75 yards away. They smell you. They're gone. You don't even see them in most cases. Um, so yeah, Onyx has been super valuable. And I remember our first scouting trip, we pinpointed like two different locations that we specifically wanted to check out. But even then, like we just kind of like set those waypoints and started walking and we were walking through some really thick, scrubby, um, Northern Michigan, mixed hardwoods, pines, all this different type of stuff. And you realize like, this is, this is challenging. And, um, it's, it's a whole different level of effort that we had, especially that first time, because we didn't have super targeted locations, but even still in the, in the rookie ways, we still found a ton of sign. We still found some, you know, good trails and this and that. And so that first scouting trip, what were your major takeaways from that? Um, a lot more preemptive planning about where to walk in and where to walk out. Um, looking at, at access a little bit more, I guess, from a bird's eye view. And, you know, you can really see, I guess, more space in up over the top. Um, yeah. And that can be super important in getting in and out quiet. Um, yes. Getting in and out where you're not, you know, beating yourself up all day long. You have a lot of ground to cover to scout. Um, and you want to make the most out of your time so you a little faster. Mm-hmm. You know, and also the ease of of Onyx, I think, made things so much easier for us, both in the field and, you know, separate, being able to share things and stuff yes. like that. Yep. Yeah. So even if, like, right now, the way things are, you live about an hour and a half from me, but we can look at the same things and find different things too, because we're each looking for different stuff, but then share waypoints and share uh trail markers and this and that and it's been more than uh man like so crucial so crucial for the the our hunting experience so far and right now as we're recording this it is october 6th so we're six days into michigan bow hunting season um the next time we but we're gonna go back we scouted again in september i believe so august we went out for a day it was a full day yes. And then September, we went out again, and this one, we went longer. So the first day was about five hours. The second day, we went out for about seven. Um, this time yeah. around, we had uh, much more, okay, this is where we're going to go. This is where we're going to go in. We're going to dra- walk back, get it back in the truck, and drive to a new location. And what I took away from that was, even if you're looking at Onyx from an aerial view, and it's like, oh, that doesn't look like, you know, that doesn't look like it'll be too hard. And then you actually get into it. And what Onyx doesn't show you is how dense the undergrowth is. And I remember 
it was pouring rain and we were down in a bottom that just felt like it was going on forever. And you were, you were dead set. You're like, there's gotta be a big buck down here. And I'm just like behind you. Like, you know what? I don't know, but this isn't super fun right now. I didn't say anything. I was just battling those thoughts in my head. But yeah, that second trip we found, I mean, a couple of really good looking honey holes and stuff. So yeah, that was a good time. I think the biggest reason why I was so pumped was because I was soaking wet and I had to stay motivated. (laughs) Yeah, because when we stopped moving, it became really cold. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was the biggest motivator. That was not the most fun walk as far as, but it felt cool because like you get out there and you're doing the, you're doing the things that most people aren't doing. They're not putting in that much effort. They're not going into those places. It's really easy for most people to get out of their vehicles, walk 100 yards into the woods, and hope for the best. And I think that's kind of what a lot of people do. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But our mindset has been, we want to outwork those people. And we want to get into the deep part of the woods that has been harder than some places harder than anticipated. And also... And I think you can agree with this, um, man, you think about like getting back there quietly. And that was one of my big realizations was, I don't know how we can get into some of these places quietly. Tell me a little bit about your attitude on this, like walking into the deep woods, going a hundred yards back. What, I mean, what's your thought process on that now that you've experienced some of it? You know, I'm kind of with two where you know we we obviously chose together to go and and you know go further back where anybody was going to um and i think that just goes to public land hunting in general um at least for michigan um michigan has a lot of hunters um michigan has a lot of hunters that don't put in that effort at least in my opinion um i've even heard from some hunters that there's not a lot of deer left in michigan yeah, I hear that all the time. There's I, no deer in the state of Michigan I, anymore. Uh, yeah, well, the five or six that I see on the side of the road on my way to work <laughs> every day says otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, I mean, with that, I just, I want to push as hard as I can to be as successful as I can here in the state of Michigan and just, I guess, see what my best is going to be this year and there's to come with all that yeah and outworking everybody else is what you got to do on public land sometimes yeah yeah i think that's actually a good place to leave this episode is outworking everybody else on public land is what you got to do sometimes um and this is how this these branches of the uh the weekly warrior are going to work they're going to be sort of shorter snippets into our hunting journey and i'm going to have different guests on too but Tristan has become a fast hunting partner that I feel very comfortable with, and I feel that we make a great team, and so he will be on uh, more regularly. So, yeah, man, got some scouting done. We're six days into the season. We're going to talk a little bit about that on a different episode, sort of recapping some of our failures and successes so far. And um, so, Oh, yeah, there's going to be some laughing moments. Absolutely. And I do want to say real quick, if you guys have made it to the end of the episode and you're looking for American-made hunting gear, go to OriginUSA.com. OriginUSA.com. 
They are making everything in America. They make boots, they make jeans, they make jujitsu geese, and now they do full American-made hunting clothing. They call it from dirt to shirt, 100% American-made. I have a couple of the pieces uh, still coming. I'll, ha- I'll be pretty much fully kitted out in Origin gear, hopefully soon. Um, but they're making it with their hands right now here in America, and it's pretty fantastic. So when you go to origin.com, originusa.com, when you check out, use code Mueller101 for 10% off. That's capital M-U-E-L-L-E-R-101, and you get 10% off. I'm a brand ambassador. If you ever have questions about Origin USA, I'm the guy to ask. I love their mission. I love the company. If I didn't love being a park ranger so much, I would move to Maine and work for them. So we're going to finish it there. Put in the work. Get out there and shoot at some porcupines and get after it. We'll see you guys next week.